Kate Dearden, and you're listening to The Migration Podcast. In this episode, Yi Jing Zhang interviews Biao Xiang about how analyzing processes of control over mobility and immobility can help explain the different consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic in Wuhan and Shanghai in China. This research is from Professor Xiang's latest paper called Logistical Power and Logistical Violence. It was recently published in the Journal of Contemporary East Asian Studies. Welcome, Professor Xiang. So first, what is logistical violence? Could you explain how this relates to power and mobility? I thought of the notion of logistical power and logistical violence primarily based on my observation about what happened during the COVID pandemic in China, especially what happened in Wuhan and later what happened in Shanghai. I was very surprised to see the differences between the two cities. As we all know, the outbreak started in Wuhan and the situation was very scary and many people died. And at that time, people did not really know what the virus was like. And also there was a cover up. But the situation in Wuhan soon became stabilized around February 2020 after about one month's panic. And the death rate was still very high, but ordinary citizens tried to organize themselves. Taxi drivers or private car owners organized teams to help each other. For instance, sending doctors and nurses from home to work, etc. And uh, two years later, in Shanghai, the virus was much less fatal and the death rate actually dropped quite significantly. But what happened in Shanghai was much more depressing. And I think it's really nothing short of trauma. Uh, So I was thinking, I mean, what exactly happened, how to explain how the situation became worse after two years and when actually the the, the virus became less uh, lethal. And the reason, according to my interviews, was that uh, in the time of Wuhan, people were still able to move around. Uh, despite of the lockdown. But by the time when Shanghai was put down in lockdown, the technologies and all the methods of control became so strict that ordinary citizens simply could not go out and could not organize their own mobilities. So this is what I want to convey through the concept of logistical violence. Before logistic violence, probably we shouldn't mention logistical power. Logistical power is the capacity to dominate uh, others, particularly dominate societies, through the management of mobility. Logistical meaning the management of mobility. And logistical violence is the extreme concentration of logistical power to the extent that the people lost all their capacities and the freedom of organizing their own mobility. As a result of people lost the basic sense of agency or the sense of being in this world. Uh, So that is uh, what I uh, wanted to convey through the concepts of logistic power and logistic violence. And then you, as you asked, what does this have to do with migration Studies and the power. 
This is because I wanted to emphasize when we look at the migration, we should not only look at how people move around. Equally importantly, or even more importantly, is a question how the mobility is organized. The way mobility is organized is often a source of power. A, an actor, you know, particularly the state, can gain lots of power by organizing and coordinating mobility in particular ways. So this is the logistical power. But if the logistical power became very concentrated, then it became logistical violence. And you mentioned the source of the power may change over the past few years. Yeah. So logistical power, uh, actually, you can say very societal power. What do I mean by that? If you look at you know who have the most logistical power, you can say ethnic minorities like the Hue tribes in Southeast Asia, people as described by uh, James Scott, you know the runaway people, and these people can free themselves from state power by organizing their own mobility and by making their own mobility unorganizable by the state. So the logic of power is also developed through my historical review of economic reform in China that started at the end of the 1970s. You see there is an outburst of social energy in the 1980s, 1990s. And at that time, I think there is a simultaneous development of people's logistical power and state logistical power. People's logistical power comes from the fact that people can move freely from countryside to cities, through which they gain lots of autonomy and the capability for economic development. And slightly later, from the 1990s, especially after 2000s, then we see the rise of state logistical power. The Chinese government identified the logistical industry as a major driving source for economic growth. And as I analyze it, it is also a major source of new power. The state invested hugely in the development of airports, seaports, highways, as well as lots of digital communication infrastructure. And these are all infrastructure that facilitate, organize, condition, as well as control, mobility. So this is why, I mean, then state gain power through the development of this logistical system and industry. And therefore, there is a, a state logistical power. So there is a subtle shift through the four decades of reform. In the beginning, the logistical power is primarily people's power of moving around and then developing their own space of living. And later on, the logistical power increasingly became a part of state power due to the investment in fixed infrastructure as well as communications technology, et cetera. And then, of course, during the pandemic, in the kind of exceptional uh, uh, circumstances, state logistical power became very concentrated, which led to logistical violence. You also mentioned there might be change uh, from the beginning of a pandemic to the late stages. So under what circumstances is logistical power positive or 
negative. Yes, in the article I mentioned that by positive logistic power, I mean the type of logistic power that actively or positively facilitate people's mobility. Uh, but the state still can gain overall control or dominance by positively facilitating people's mobility. This you can say is a very Foucauldian notion of power. Power is not to prohibit you. Power is to facilitate you, right? The negative logistical power means the type of logistical power that will control, constrain your mobility. And of course, the most obvious example is lockdown period. Then the, the state also gained control over society by disallowing, by banning people from moving freely. So negative logistical power is often associated with the positive logistical power in the sense that in order for the government to constrain people's mobility effectively, you need to have technologies and a system in hand so then you can control who is moving. And then also you need to make sure that some necessities for living can be delivered in order to make a mobility unnecessary for these people. I mean, this also requires certain logistical coordination. So without positive logistic powers that are developed at an early stage, then the state would not be able to implement negative logistic powers so effectively. And the reason that China, as well as other Asian countries, can lock down cities so effectively is precisely because in these countries, the positive logistic powers, for instance, the delivery system, the transport, the communication system, uh, have been well developed. So that is the basis of the negative uh, logistical power. Then the logistical violence is a extreme version of a negative logistical power. I'm also interested in the turning point. At which point has the logistical power become the logistical violence? Very good question. And of course, that is difficult to uh, pinpoint as a precise moment which day things change. What is important here is probably to identify conceptually how logistical violence is different from logistic power. I want to emphasize is a qualitative difference. Basically, I want to say that logistical power is generative. Here, I'm influenced by Hannah Arendt. The power is not something that any actor can possess. Power is not a thing. Power is a type of relations that will enable further actions. Now, the positive logics of power has capacity of generating more mobility and activity. That is self-evident. But even negative logics of power also has this function. Look at what happened in Wuhan. And of course, people understand that these are special circumstances, people stay home. So there was a negative logistic power. But under that situation, citizens are still mobilized. They felt, okay, now we are going through a very special period of time. So we have to watch out for each other. We should do what we can help each other. So there is a sense of uh, mobilizing their own capacities and to bring the situation into their own hands and handle that with a sense of urgency. 
In contrast, logistical violence is not generative. Logistical violence really incapacitates people. You know, look at what happened in Shanghai. On the surface, I mean, the policy system seems quite similar to Wuhan or to many other cities in the world. You know, it's a kind of lockdown, you are not allowed to go out. But the way that order was implemented, basically this allowed any citizens or even commercial activities such as delivery companies from operating. So they take away the basic capacity for action from people. So the key turning point, going back to your question, is when that kind of generative capacity is turned into prohibiting and incapacitating. And also another important point to make is that again, the following around is the power is always interactive. So power must involve more than one actor. So you have to look at how different actors interplay with each other, and then you see the dynamics of power. But violence is singular, is very much top-down. So therefore, this is why I emphasize the extreme concentration. And the power is not only interactive, but also communicative, because different parties need to explain to each other, okay, we have to implement this as a reason, and etc. But the violence is not communicative. Rather, violence is often very arbitrary, and you just don't know why you are taken away to quarantine center, or suddenly why you are forced to do that, but the next are not necessarily forced to do the same thing. That arbitrariness is another feature of violence. So violence is different from power because it is incapacitating, it is extremely concentrated into one actor, and finally, it is uncommunicative and arbitrary. You also mentioned citizens' logistical power is important. So how do citizens resist this force or power from above? So what we witnessed during COVID, a quite problematic situation, is that uh, citizens not only lost their uh, logistical power, namely the freedom of organizing their mobility, but as well as they lost uh, their resistance to uh, e-mobility, right? Because you don't have the means of mobility to resist the forced uh, e-mobility. And uh, then you can see there is a dialectical relation between logistical power and you can say this kind of uh, sedentary uh, mode of power. Power based on solidarity, power based on immobility, power based on rootedness. And these two things are related. So in migration studies, it is very important to look at the meaning of mobility, not by focusing on mobility per se, but also have to think whether this mobility is a result of free choice, whether this mobility will give people more capacity if that is the case, then I predict when people do not move, they will also have more capacity. If the mobility is generative and free, so the immobility will also be more empowered. But if mobility is forced and the mobility is incapacitating 
and then the immobility probably will be equally disempowering. Look at refugees; their movement was forced, and when they settle down, they often also have the problem of being marginalized and disempowered. Yeah, this probably is another reminder how mobility and immobility should be brought together into a single analytical framework. To wrap up.、Uh... Could you say something briefly that how can these concepts of、uh, logistical power and violence contribute to mobility studies? Well, I think the most important thing is、uh, to look at mobility not only as a behavior, especially not、uh, as a behavior that resulted from migrants' free choice or, or rational calculation. We must. Realize that mobility in many circumstances actually is a result of multiple societal actors uh, and uh, uh, societal interactions that go far beyond migrants themselves. We need to look at how mobility is organized and is coordinated by different actors, and therefore we should look into the power relations, the inequalities. And people's experiences and the feelings, people's perceptions about how their mobilities are being organized and coordinated. By doing so, I believe we will be able to understand broader social dynamics better through the case of mobility, rather than just think of mobility in itself. Piao Xiang is a director at the Max Planck Institute for Social Anthropology in Halle, Germany. There, he also leads the Mo Lab, which is dedicated to migration and mobility studies. The lab addresses questions around human experiences and perceptions of mobility, including how social resources such as human emotions and commitment are organized and distributed. The lab also seeks to prioritize issues that migrants themselves are concerned with, for example, attachment and sacrifice. If you enjoy the Migration Podcast, please consider liking and following us. Thanks for listening.